Find your place if you haven't already in Hebrews chapter 10. We'll begin in verse 19 down to verse 25 in just a moment. But I want to note for you, uh, I know that July the 6th may not mean a whole lot to any of y'all. It might be, well, that's just a couple days after July the 4th. Well, for me, it is a very meaningful date because 27 years ago, uh, it was a Saturday in 1996, that was the day that I got married to Vanessa Ruth Byerly. And uh, if she had her way, she'd hang on to that Byerly as long as she could. <laughs> but anyhow, anyhow, and I, and I recognize it was, it's one of thousands of, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of weddings that happen every year. So in that way, it's not all that special in the scheme of things. But for me, I can't even say anything about Vanessa, but for me, it changed everything for me. I mean, it literally changed everything. It changed the course of my life. Everything is completely different now. Now, I want to acknowledge there was a ceremony. There was a wedding day. There were vows that were exchanged. And that was, it was, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, I thought it was a beautiful ceremony. I enjoyed that. It was a beautiful day. It was great to see all those family and friends come together to support us on our wedding day. That ceremony was great. But that ceremony just made it official and made it possible for me to then spend the rest of my life with my favorite person. The vows that we set, they, 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 they said those, we said those vows, but they, they set into motion um, a strong and, and vibrant bond of trust and uh, reliance that we can now depend on each other through the years. And there was an event, there was an event, a moment in time, and we ate cake, and, and, and we laughed, and we had a good time with a lot of people. We, we did, we enjoyed that moment, but that, commemorate, that moment commemorated a love that I'll tell you to this day, I don't mind sharing with anybody that even, even if you don't care, I'm going to tell you about it. I love her. I, I, the point of that is to say that that day was great, that wedding was nice, but, and, and I don't, I, I don't, I don't want to say just nice, like, oh, it's no big deal. No, it was huge. It was a big deal. But it wasn't just the day. It was what came from that day. Everything changed from that moment forward. My life was different because of that. In a lot of the same way, what the writer of Hebrews is talking about in this text that we're about to look at is a culmination, a turning point both in the book of Hebrews where he has said up to this point that Jesus is better, Jesus is better, Jesus is better than anything and everything. That's what he's been talking about. But then he kind of gets to this crescendo point that says, wow, something has happened. And because that something has happened, here's all these wonderful blessings that flow from that. Jesus is better than the angels. He's better than the law, than the priesthood. And he's given us a great salvation. But just as July the 6th, 1996 was not the end of anything for me, it was a grand beginning. The same way what Jesus did and what he has done sets into motion a whole world of good stuff. So what has he done? Well, let's look at what he's done here. Verse 19, it says there, having therefore brethren boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. 
You do know that Jesus shed his blood on a cross 2,000 years ago. He died. Yes, his life was taken, but his blood was shed. He was buried, and he rose again the third day. This is something that happened uh, 2,000 years ago. There was a moment on Calvary where he died, but because he shed his blood, he has redeemed us. That's what he talks about here, that we are entered in. And then verse 20, that by this new and living way, which he had consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh. Because he shed his blood, because his body was broken, because he gave his life for me and for you, we now have salvation. We can now, as he says there, that we can have boldness to enter into the holiest. Jesus Christ took my place on the cross, which certainly meant that all the shame that I bear, he now bears. That all the condemnation that I bear, he now bears for me. He has all of those things for me. And because of that, he says there, I can not just enter into the throne room of God, but I have boldness to do so. Meaning I am not, I'm not presuming anything. I am simply doing what is now, please forgive the language, but just understand the right to do. You say, well, Matthew, you got no right. You're right. I only have what I have because Jesus has provided it to me. So he has given me that because he has done that. He also goes on, look in verse 21, because he's not done. I can not only go into the presence of God, look at verse 21, and having a high priest over the house of God. He says, listen, you actually have a high priest that will enter in there with you. This is, this is amazing to me, that back in the Old Testament, that the only people who could go into the Holy of Holies, that special place that God's presence would dwell, the only people who could go there were the high priests. These were special people who had to prepare themselves physically, mentally, spiritually, all sorts of ways. And even then, they were a little scared about going in to the presence of God. Those people were the only people who could do that. Now you and I can do it. But not only can I do that, but I actually have a high priest who is going to walk in there with me. John talks about it in 1 John chapter 2 where we have an advocate with the Father. He says we have somebody who is literally going to be by our side saying, I'm vouching for him. He's with me. That's what he's saying. He is actually going into the presence with me. He is advocating for us. These are the kinds of gifts that Christ has obtained for us because he went to the cross. He gives us access to God. Did you know you have that? If you're a Christian this morning, you have access to God. You can access the Father because Jesus has broken down those walls. Uh, Paul writes about that in Ephesians, that wall of partition that is broken down. Not only do I have access, but he makes it so that when I go in, I am acceptable. I am proper. It is right for me to go in. It is good. When God sees me, he doesn't see my sin. He says, that's one of mine. I'm one of his children. He sees me that way. I'm acceptable to him. And because of what Jesus has done, I am accepted by him. Meaning that when he sees me, he, uh, I think it's Zephaniah, talks about him singing over me. He sings over me. He embraces me. He draws me close. That's what I have. That's what he has obtained for me. That we who were sometimes far off from God are now made near, made nigh by the blood of Christ. That's what we have. That's what Jesus has done. Jesus makes you somebody in the kingdom of God. You are somebody. But now, what verses 22 
23, 24, and 25 do for us. It says, remember I told you that that, what Jesus did on the cross is not the end of anything. It is the beginning of a whole host of blessings. He says, because what Jesus did on the cross, there's a few things that you ought to be able to do now. There's three things. He shows them there. And if you're looking at the Bible and the King James Version, it says, let us, let us, let us. It says those three, those two words, three times, let us. That is what we're going to see. Those are the gifts that we get, the things that, that the gift that Christ has given to us, that these things ought to inspire, be inspired in us because of what Jesus has done. Look, what does he say first of all? Let us, verse 22, draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. He, he says, he goes on to say that you've had your heart sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. He says, listen, everything has been made, made right. Everything is perfect. Everything is exactly like it needs to be. You have been made holy. You have been made pure. You have had your sins washed away. You are right. So now it's time to go ahead and enter in. Jesus has provided the way. He has made every assurance that you can go in there. He's made your heart clean. Your conscience is clear. Even your body is ready to go into the presence of God. This is the thing that if you go back to the Old Testament, that's what these priests had to go through all of this rigor, all of this thing. Jesus provided that. So now what is left for us to do? Go in. Enjoy it. Go and take part of it. I remember on that wedding day, there's a, there's a picture of me, and I don't know where this picture is now, but I know we've got it somewhere. There's a picture. We've had our wedding vows, and we're walking down the aisle going out of the church. Y'all know that scene where every married couple that goes to married in church, they do that. They walk down the aisle, and there's a picture there. Now, Vanessa has got this look on her face like, oh my goodness, what is going on? <laughs> Me, on the other hand, I look like I have just got me a big old batch of cookies, and I'm going, hmm. I'm grinning to ear to ear. Why? Again, I can't speak for Vanessa's state of mind because she's not me. But I can tell you, nobody had to force me to go and spend some time with that dear lady. Nobody. Nobody even had to ask me twice. Nobody, in fact, if anything, they might have said, in fact, they did. Hang on a minute, Matthew. Y'all can't leave yet. You got to go to the, in this case, it was a fellowship hall where we had our, our, our uh, reception and all that stuff. You can't leave yet, Matthew. You got to stay here. If anything, I had to be held back to say, no, you got things to do before you can go spend time with her. You've got things to do. And I say that to say, you don't have to force newlyweds to spend time together then why is it that we as believers who have the opportunity to go into the presence of God literally at any time, sometimes, and I can't speak for you, I'm only going to speak for myself, but I suspect it might be you too. Sometimes we act like it's a drudgery to spend time with the Lord in prayer, spend time in the word, to spend time coming to church, listening to preaching, going to a Sunday school class. Why do we see that as a drudgery? I've heard it from some of you, and I say this to, to acknowledge that this is a reality for a lot of people. You may say, well, I just don't understand all the words in the Bible. It's, it's difficult. It's complicated. And I understand that. It's not necessarily easy, especially, especially if you're, you know, the, the, the language and things. I get that. But, but can I just ask you, don't answer out loud. Just ask, answer yourself. If there was somebody that was real important to you, 
a man, a woman, a boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, whatever that is, that significant other person to you that was communicating to you. And let's just say that they used some language that was difficult for you to understand. Do you think you would just say, eh, it's not going to worry about that? Or are you going to, if you take learning another language to learn what they're saying to you, you will do it. Do you understand what I'm asking? What I'm saying to you? That if it is complicated, I understand that this word is not something that you're just going to pop up and like, okay, I get it, I understand. No, people spend their lifetime studying the scripture and still there's more to learn. But I'm trying to get you to see that instead of seeing it as a drudgery, we should enjoy his presence. Go into that and find opportunities, find creative and interesting ways to be in the presence of God. We also have to also quit acting as if it's not a big deal. <laughs> I say this because I get to stand up here every Sunday morning and I get to pray. I lead a prayer. I get to preach. Every, every day you wake up, you get to open up the, the word of God if you wanted to. And you can talk to God. You can do this. Nobody's going to stop you. In fact, God himself says, come on in. So we kind of get to this place where we start thinking about, eh, it's just another thing. It's kind of a, a habitual thing, kind of like letting the dog out, kind of like cleaning up the dishes after, after supper. I mean, it's just, it's just stuff you've got to do. Quit acting like it's not a big deal. You're a child of the king of the universe. He is available to you. He has called you into his presence, and we need to act like we're going to go see the king and prepare ourselves, prepare our mind, prepare our calendars. Actually mark some time. Say, I think I'm going to do that. Make it a priority. This is what we need to do because he has said, Jesus has offered this, therefore let us draw near. You get a relationship with the God of the universe, so let's draw near to it. Second, let us go to verse 23. He says there, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. I've opened up this morning service by acknowledging there are some difficult things in this world, some frustrating things, things that, if I'm honest about it, they're disappointing me, they upset me, they make me angry. They're definitely things that make me doubt. They make me fear. There's a lot of scary, troubling things in this world. There's a, there's a world that is full of lies. Just this week, in fact, I remember this past week has been for me. Uh, an emotional, I'll tell Vanessa about this. It's kind of been an emotional roller coaster for me, and not necessarily related to this church, forgive me, but for some other things I've got in my mind. Emotional roller coaster. There's been promises made to me that make me go, yes, we're excited. And then just days later, what is going on? You ever feel that way? Where it's just, it feels like whatever's been promised to you just lets you down, it disappoints you, it frustrates you. And let me tell you, there's a lot in this world. If you look, and if, by the way, if you're, if you're, if you're a Pollyanna and everything looks golden and, and glorious to you, I apologize for, for bringing you down this morning. But the rest of us that live in the real world, it's just disappointing out there. It's just disappointing. It's very disappointing. But as a Christian, we have, as he says there in verse 23, profession of our faith. We say that we have hope in someone. We say we have hope in something. And he is saying here, hold on to that. Don't let go of that. 
Don't stop. Don't quit. You have proclaimed that Jesus is your hope of eternal life. And because of him, you can continue without wavering, without ever giving up. Not saying there aren't people that are going to disappoint you. Not going to say there aren't circumstances that will bring you down. Not saying that there are difficult times. But I am saying that through all of that, because of what Jesus has done, we can trust him to be the same today, yesterday, and forever. He will never change. He's trustworthy to save all who call on him. He's promised that. He's trustworthy to never leave us or forsake us. That's what he said. We can trust him. We can trust him to be strong, not only when we're weak, but because we are weak. Because we are so weak, he is so strong. We can trust him for that. We can trust him because he has promised to give us fruit for our labor. We can trust him that if we serve him, he will give us fruit for the labor. He's promised that he will keep you as a Christian till the day of redemption. He's going to come back sometime. I don't know when, but it's, the Bible tells me it's soon. When he comes back, he says he's coming back. When he comes back, he is going to take me home with him. He's promised all those things. And I can tell you that he will come back for me. He will come back for you. He will, he will, he will. And we can hold on to that. And we can hold on to that promise no matter how dark, no matter how dreary and how dim it is here. But because we, can, we have a God who saved us from our sins, we can trust everything he says. So he says, let us hold fast to the profession of our faith without wavering. Even when it's confusing, even when you just don't know what's next. You've got a Savior. You've got a God who's made promises and he's trustworthy. You just keep on. Hold on to him. The last one is in verse 25. Where he says, let us hold fast. I'm sorry, verse 24. My apologies. I I jumped ahead here. Verse 24. And let us consider one another. To provoke unto love and good works. Let us consider one another. He says that, I'm not sure you, you don't lose the track of this. He says, Jesus died on the cross, shed his blood, his body was broken, gives you access to God. You have salvation. You are saved. You are redeemed. You are justified. You have a future home in heaven. This is all true of you if you're a Christian this morning. And because of that, he says, if that's true, then you have an opportunity, not responsibility, but an opportunity. You've got something in front of you to now consider one another. What he says there by consider, he means that you need to have concern for each other. You need to put other people first. For the purpose of, as he says there in verse 25, for, uh, verse 24, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. He says, the reason that you need to think about other people, you need to put other people first is because what you're wanting to do is to provoke them, to to spur them on, to encourage them, to make it so that they can do what they have been created and redeemed to do. You're going to encourage them to do that. What is that? Well, to love and to good works, to reflect the grace and the glory of God, uh, to show other people that they are Y'all do remember this verse, and it always strikes me, and it's actually kind of um, embarrassing when I, when I think about it. Jesus says that they're going to know, the people in this world are going to know that we are his disciples by how much we love each other. And I just, when I ask myself the question, do people actually know that I'm a Christian? Just based on that. Not because of what I say, not because of where I show up every Sunday morning, but do I actually act as if I love people? 
That's what he said. That's how they're going to know. Do I actually do that? So that's, let me come back to this and simply say that what we're supposed to be doing here, what he's saying is because of what Jesus has done, let's think about other people. Let's encourage them to be in love, loving people, to encourage them to be the hands of God, to do the good works. To help our brothers and sisters live out what Jesus secured for us at such pain and such cost. Let me say it another way. Jesus didn't die for you to make you happy. Jesus didn't die for you to make you feel like you got whatever you think you deserve. Jesus died for you so that you will show his love to everybody in this world around him. He died for you to make sure that he, he as the way Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 2, that he's made us a workmanship of his grace and that the idea that we are we are actually sort of trophies of his grace that people can look at us and see that's what God does to a man as it was sung right there right before I preached that that we're that old man is dead that we're transformed that we're changed that's what we're supposed that's what he saved us for is so that people can see this is what God does and whenever because he's done that, what we've got to, what we get the opportunity to do is to take care of each other, to have concern for each other, to, so that they can live out that kind of life that we're showing that God loves us. How do we do that? Verse 25 says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. We need to not abandon each other. I think a lot of times this verse gets used, and I think appropriately so, about necessarily coming to church and we ought not abandon the, the assembling of the saints uh, on a Sunday morning or Sunday night or Wednesday night or any other time for revival services, all that sort of thing. That's, I think that's appropriate. But I think there's also this idea that we need to be together and encourage each other and not put other things in front of the body of Christ. There's always something to do, isn't there? I can tell you that from my own testimony. I can't speak for your life, but I can speak for mine. There's always something to do. Always something to do. But when I allow those, quote, better things to get in front of my relationship with my, the, the, my church, my people, the family that God has given to me, I'm not recognizing the beauty of what Jesus has given to me. can't tell. I'm trying to get, get this point across to you. I'm kind of struggling on how to say this to you. I've got some notes here, but they're not doing me justice on this. So y'all stick with me for a second. Jesus died on the cross to save you from your sins. Y'all believe that? Amen. Because he did that and you believe that, you have a whole bunch of stuff that you don't deserve. We call it grace. That's the big word, grace. Thank the Lord for it. And one of the things that he gives us, and whether we recognize it or not, is he gives us a body of people, a family. We call it, just because of how we do things, we call it a church, North Beaver Baptist Church. Some of y'all might be representing other churches here, and that's fine. Your church. Put your church's name there. But the point is, he gives us a family. And by the way, it's bigger than just the one church. Let's make sure we're real clear on that. It's all the family of God. Do understand that. But he gives us that. That's a gift that he gives us. And because that's a gift he gives us, let us consider one another. 
Let us think about each other. Let us put each other first. Let us provoke each other to love. So that means we need to not abandon each other, meaning we got to get together sometimes on Sundays and worship together. There's a bunch of encouragement that happens when we get together and we get to see each other. It's a whole lot of help that gets done. We also not need to make sure we're not abandoning each other because we've got better things to do, but we also need to make sure we're not abandoning each other because we get little petty disagreements. And don't we get those? Oh my goodness, we get those. And y'all can get tight if you want to, but that's the truth. That's the truth. That's the truth. That's the truth. Some of it's silly. Some of it's not silly. Some of it's big stuff. But you know what families are supposed to do? Figure it out. Because the family is supposed to love one another, encourage one another. Why? Because this family that we've got, why do we have it? Because we like each other. Well, if that's all you got, let's just go to the house. But if the reason we're a family is because there was a God who sent his only begotten son into this world and died and shed his blood and gave me new life and gave that same life to you, if that's the reason that we're family, you're my sister, you're my brother, if I am your family, then that's something worth, can I just use the word fighting for? I don't mean fighting each other. That's not what I mean. Y'all hear me wrong if you're hearing that. I'm saying quit fighting each other and fight for that kind of encouragement. So he says here that we need to stop abandoning each other. Instead, we need to, as he says, but exhorting one another, encouraging one another, lifting each other up, building each other up. So much the more as we see the day approaching. Again, it's going to get darker before it gets better. And if you're not ready for that, just you need to put your faith in Jesus. And if you put your faith in Jesus, you get a family that's going to strengthen you in those dark times. You get a family that you can be with and can encourage you. We need each other, and we're going to need each other even more as we see that day approaching. All that simply to say, if Jesus has saved you, act like it. That's what I'm trying to say. I think that's what the writer of Hebrews tried to say. Act like it. After all, he gave his blood. He, he, his body was broken for you. He is advocating for you with the Father. And because of what he has done, you have a relationship with God. So draw near to him. Hold on. It's difficult times come. Hold on and look up. He's still God. He's still in control. And make sure you love people on the way. Jesus is your Savior, act like it. If you don't believe that's even possible, if you're sitting there saying, well, Matthew, I understand what you're saying, and that's what I hear that church is supposed to be about, but I don't even know how that's possible. I don't feel that in my soul. I'm not there because I don't understand. I've never seen and I never put my faith in Jesus. I want to tell you that you need to go to the cross. Go to the Savior. He has offered himself as a sal- as salvation for you, and he will save you. He will secure your place. He has broken down all those walls. He has made you acceptable. He will accept you so that you will be one of these people who have these opportunities to draw near, to hold on, and to love people. So I'm inviting you to be saved this morning. I'm going to invite everyone that's here to stand. And we're just going to take a moment of invitation as we close out this service. There's some that may need to ask Jesus for salvation. I want to encourage you, please do that today. Do not leave without asking the Savior for salvation. He's promised, if you believe, 
he will save you. That's what he said. I can only take him at his word and I can freely. I can't. You, if you ever get to know me, you're going to know. I'm not going to be 100% sure about a lot of things. I'm going to be open-minded to a lot of things. But that's one thing for sure. It's true. You ask him, he'll save you. No equivocation. I want to invite you to do that today. There's a lot of you in this room that are Christians. And let's be honest, you ain't acting like it. I want to invite you to repent of your disobedience and ask the Lord to forgive you. He will. He will. He will. He will. I promise you. He will. He's promised. He will forgive. Y'all come and ask him to forgive you. Lord, please move among your people as they hear your word. I pray that you will help us to follow through with the blessings that you've given to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all come as the Lord leads. I'll give you a moment. You may want to pray where you are, but I'll be down here if you need me to pray with you.